Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Smishy, today I want to talk about health. And who better to talk to about health than with you, a medical intuitive, which is is so funny trying to describe you to people, or it's actually even funnier when I hear other people try to describe you to other people. (laughs) So before we delve into what you do in that regard, I was just kind of wondering, what is health? What is the definition of health to you? Wealth, Mishy Love, such a good question. To me, my awareness of health is whatever keeps a person in balance and the harmony according to their chemistry and their organ function and their endocrine function, harmony, balance, energy flowing through the body, and anything that we collect that's not keeping the body in balance or that we're finished with waste, um, being able to eliminate it easily. Mm. And to me, that's health. You know, a constant acclimation of life, the demands of life, the energy flowing to meet the demands of life in our own constitution. So what do you think leads to health? Well, I actually think um, it's a very exciting time to explore what leads to health. In my work, coming from my background and my training with anatomy and physiology, you know, you're really taught about what leads to health is keeping awareness of all the organs, glands, and systems in their proper place. What captivates me about people and health is the uniqueness of every single body. Mm. Because you could take 10 kids from the same parents, so they come from the same genetic pool, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Some inherit some aspects of their genes and others, others, and uh, it changes even the way they respond to life, the way they respond to every single thing from how to move their muscles and how their joints feel and their inflammatory response and their inflammatory markers, which means how they'll respond to the environment Mm. and their internal environment and every food you give them and how they Uh, absorb nutrients and maintain nutrients. I'm fascinated by our biochemical uniqueness. And so to me, what leads to health is first evaluating each person. And we're not there yet in medicine. I feel like actually one of the most exciting eras is right now, because typically we hear in terms of the reporting of what's happening in the breakthroughs in medicine, and I mean allopathic Western medicine and research, but uh, we also hear about different modalities developing like functional medicine, 
where you still have Western medicine, but the physicians function with an awareness of the individual Mm. and nutrients and how nutrients interact with the body. And that's their preferred way to begin. And then we work our way. and, And that's how I see medicine personally in my work. It's a full spectrum. Right. You know, of course, there is no such thing as what's the true medicine. It's all about uh, starting with what works with the organic body first. And then as a person moves further and further away from their constitutional health due to extreme circumstances or an illness or stress or bad habits in their eating and sleep and ingesting all kinds of substances, you know, we move further away from the body's ability to be healthy. And now we need allopathic Western medicine. We might need pharmaceuticals, which are very faithful. That's why empirical science is so critical. Because if you need a pharmaceutical drug, you want it to behave exactly the same way every day. Mm. And whereas if you have your own constitution and your vital health and you don't need a pharmaceutical, you could see why you can work with nutrients, treating people through their diet. And even though you're not going to get, for example, if a person needed something like kale, you know, it's high in magnesium and iron and all the minerals. And there's so many benefits to it, but it's not like you're going to do empirical studies on each leap right? <laughs> because they're going to be a little different. But if your body's healthy, your body will do that work. Mm. It will translate that. So it's such a complex question, but a fascinating one, what leads to health. And then of course, there's the more ambiguous side of health, which is our mind, our beliefs, how we interpret our lives and the stress Sushi, you know how you feel. You're very in touch with your physical body. You have a lot of self-awareness. And you know, for example, if you don't eat, what's going to happen to your ability throughout the day? Mm -hmm. I really credit you with developing more and more of that awareness, which I kind of want to talk about a little bit later. But with the medical system that we have, with Western medicine, Why would people even seek out or need somebody like a medical intuitive? Because you have people calling you internationally 24-7. As your friend, I see how much you work and how many people call you. Your schedule is constantly booked. Why? Why is it that people would need a medical intuitive when there's such an established medical system here? Hmm. I think that medicine itself is wonderful, you know, what we've got. I mean, we have more talent, so many doctors. And not only that, we have all these incredible clinics now that medicine has become specialized. So I think that's incredible. What's missing is being seen as an individual. I think we're still looking in medicine by and large we're still looking for the one-size-fits-all answers. Mm. And I think, personally, that's why I am busy. Because people want to be seen. They want to be understood. And, and the only reason, you know, in my job, actually, I don't see the open-minded, oh, I'm questing for better health people. 
I'm usually a person's last chance. They come to yeah. me because they're not they excited. Have no other option. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing left. And they've already been to everybody. And so they're like, what the heck? I'll make an appointment with her. But actually, I love troubleshooting. I just love that work because I love looking at people. And so I use my being born with an anomaly, you know, my the hemispheres and the modalities of my brain work together. If I hear sound, sound is a molecular structure. That's all it is. And my brain reconfigures things visually. So... So you see sound. So I see what that molecular structure presents, my brain. Mm. That's why people can call me from different parts of the world. And I, as soon as I listen to them, I draw people in um, diagrams, anatomical, biological, chemical, electrical diagrams, and my own sort of shorthand diagram, so that I could see where the source of their complications are coming from or their symptoms. If I see 10 people in one day who all have headaches, most likely I'm going to see 10 different reasons they have a headache. So one person I might observe, it's their digestive system and their liver is toxic and now they've got a toxic headache. And another person, I look at them and they have what I would call a vascular headache. Maybe it's constrictive, maybe it's inflammatory. Another person, maybe they have a thyroid headache and their thyroid hormones are imbalanced and so on. I'm not a doctor of anything, so I can't diagnose and I cannot prescribe, but I can observe and I can tell them what doctors they would do better with if they went to see them to specialize. Or I can also suggest uh, dietary changes, because if I see something toxic, I thought they might want to know, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll pass that along. I think people are afraid to call me for that reason. <laughs> they don't want to know. They don't want to know. I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to know either. But I'm not the food police. I just am, you know, a little bit of information. And I, as I said, I'm not a doctor of anything, so they can feel free and just toss it out the door and they're not going to offend me. But I do know that when people are seen because they live in their bodies, they know what they experience every day, their own wisdom is going to match what I observed. Mm. And I love that moment. I love that too. I've experienced that. It's so good. And nobody tells you stuff about you as an individual. Uh, I wouldn't say nobody. There are people who grow up with very observant parents or siblings or friends. I mean, my daughter, for example, when she was little, I told her she was intolerant of red dye, dyes in general, but especially red dye and chocolate. If she listens to this podcast, she'll laugh her head off. You know, I would tell her, you cannot eat those things. If she would go off the rails for three <laughs> days, not listening to anybody, not friends, not family. And, and her friends used to coerce her into eating Twizzlers and uh, chocolate, M&Ms and all the dyes. And then she would be like a creature and a human blur that was uncontrollable. (laughs) After a while, it was her friends that were like, no, don't eat the Twizzlers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? But 
what your equivalent might be with your friends is like maybe you get depressed after you eat certain foods. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're tired or maybe you hate the world after you eat certain mm-hmm. foods. It's your friends that will tell you. Yeah. Well, it's incredible because for the longest time, I never made a connection between that kind of stuff, especially if it's something that you love to eat. You just love it so much. You can't imagine that it would be bad for you because you're like, how can something that I enjoy consuming so much that brings me so much joy do anything like betray me? That's not possible. (laughs) It's so true. And Sushi, I really think of all the things I encounter in my work, the hardest thing for people to change You would not believe it. Like you could tell a person you have to move from your country and they will deal with it. They will acclimate. You could tell a person they have to change jobs like on a dime and they'll get stressed, but they'll acclimate. You could even, God forbid, change a person's partner. They will adjust. Mm -hmm. But if you tell a person not to eat their comfort food, they will rebel. And nine times out of 10, If I tell a person the thing that they grew up with that is their very favorite comfort food and it's their poison, they will flat out tell me even if they have a triple PhD, yeah, I'm not giving that up. Yeah. And they know how they feel afterwards. That cracks me up, but I also, I sympathize. What has been your biggest awakening physically with your health? What's made the biggest change, let's say, from the way you were groomed into understanding health, which I want to ask you about afterwards? Um, I don't know if this answers the question, but just as we were talking, I think that one of the biggest things that shifted for me were, first of all, how holistic health is. Mm -hmm. I never realized that emotions or, you know, all of that affects your health Mm. in real ways. Or, Mm. I mean, I knew, but I thought it it was only in the form of trauma, potentially. I didn't really think of it as a day-to-day type of thing. What do you mean in trauma? Well, like if somebody was traumatized, like something grave happened to them, like emotionally, I could see how that could translate into their health, you know, Mm. because I could understand that intellectually where I'd be like, well, oh my God, this person lost their partner who was the love of their life. And ever since that time, now they've had some kind of health thing, Mm. like something about them changed. So that kind of thing I could understand, but I never understood it as it applied to me Mm. day to day with things that I dealt with every day, normal, like small things. I was like, really? That small thing had this kind of impact in my body? How? Is that because nobody ever observed you and the way you responded to things and you had to find it by yourself? Or is that because? Yeah, nobody ever did. Mm -hmm. But what's crazy is because what you're telling me is ever since, so ever since I was young, I loved, loved sugar. (laughs) Loved it. And I've always ate sugar. I've consumed mass amounts of sugar my entire life where even, you know, when I was in high school and college, I, I never drank. I was never attracted to alcohol. So I would go out with my friends and they would get wasted and I'd drink Coke. And that was like my alcohol, you know, it's like soda. 
But mm. it's just like, I love sweets. If I drink a cup of coffee, it's like I just dump out the simple syrup in there or everything revolves like everything sweet, nonstop. I just love sweets. And a couple of years ago, I went to my chiropractor who also does like other kinds of you know, muscle testing. And I was kind of telling him about how I felt and he was noticing a lot of inflammation in my body. And he asked me to go on this candida diet, which was essentially to reset my gut. And I was like, sure, I can do that. And I read the, what you had to do to be on the candida diet. And one of the things that you had to completely eliminate was sugar. And in my head, I was like, I can do it. Sure. I, I think, okay. But really I could not do it because I was working so much and I was under so much pressure and stress in my life because I was taking care of so many people and doing so many things that sugar really felt like my only go-to. I was mm. like, well, but what am I going to do if I don't have this ritual in the morning of drinking my tea with this sugar or drinking my coffee with the sugar? And what about that treat I have every day at 4 p.m. when my energy dips and I don't have it in me to keep going with work? How am I going to be productive? And so for a year, he kept telling me this for a year. I remember. <laughs> and one day I was literally sitting at his table and I just started crying because I was like, I can't do it. I just, I can't. I was like, I really want to. And it was the first time in my life where I felt like I couldn't do something because I'm a very mm. can do it kind of person. I'm like, we'll figure it out. We'll do it. What do you need? Let's go. And I was just broken down and I, I had no answers for him. I was like, I was just like, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Fast forward to me having a session with you a couple months later, and I, I distinctly remember this because it was the week of Thanksgiving. I think we spoke on a Monday or Tuesday and Thanksgiving was on a <laughs> Thursday, which involves a lot of sugar that I really look forward to, right? I was talking to you, we were working, and I was asking you about looking at me because I was in the process of wanting to grow my business. You know, mm. I had been coasting for a while and I really enjoyed being where I was at. And then I had this thing where I was like, you know, I want to grow my business. I really want to grow it. I want to open a store in New York. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I asked you to look at me and you're like, okay, let me look at your body. And I was like, look at my body. I was like, why do you need to look at my body if I want to grow my business? And you were like, well, your body is going to have to come with you if you're going to take on all this extra work. Mm. And that was the first time where I had ever thought about my body having to come with me in that way. Mm. Never before. And I was like, wait a second. What I eat determines what I'm available for. Mm. And that sort of blew my mind a little bit. And the next day, I tell you the next day, I'd never felt more ready. I was like, I'm cutting it out. Mm -hmm. And I definitely went through two weeks where I felt like I was coming off of crack cocaine. Yes. Like that's what it felt yes. like to not have sugar. I was having nightmares at night. It was 
crazy. It is crazy to make changes. But when you do, uh, to me, what's really exciting, and thank you for sharing that story, because it, it helps people see what the process is. Mm. You know, it's not just learn something, do something, be something. There is mm -hmm. always a process. And every step of the way in any process, you will meet you. Mm. The parts of you that you have managed through changing your diet, and if not your diet, substances. You know, some people, um, and I'm sure you know a lot of people, put 100% confidence and attribute health to genetics. 100%. They just believe it's on the genes. And, you know, I've had people say to me, for example, oh, my grandfather drank a bottle of whiskey every single day and smoked cigars, and he lived to be 98. Mm -hmm. And I always think to myself, yeah, but what would he have been like if he hadn't? <laughs> how, right. how old would he have lived to? And also, what did he endure? That part. That's something else. And why is that the gold standard? How much you can handle, handle or take. Mm -hmm. But that's the other thing. Like for me personally, I always thought the aches and pains that I had or I didn't even know what inflammation really meant. Mm. I just thought it was me. It had become normalized to me mm. until I didn't have it anymore because I had cut these things out. And I was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. I, like, I didn't even know it was possible. I didn't even know what brain fog was mm -hmm. until I didn't have it anymore. Mm. I used to get decision fatigue so easily that at work, I could only handle making so many decisions before I would tap out. And I would just be like, sure, do that. Okay. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> like I didn't have enough capacity to take it on. And I would blame myself for it because I was like, maybe I'm just not cut out to be a business person. Maybe mm. I'm not until I realized that it was actually what I was eating that wasn't supporting my design and who I am and what I'm meant to be doing in the world. Mm -hmm. And when I had clarity, oh my gosh, it was like game changer. Well, I think we don't, I mean, first of all, it's never, and I do mean that, it's never been reflected back to us that we are an organic creature and mm. that every single thing that we are surrounded by our air, everything we take in, our water, our food supply, where it was grown, is actively interacting with us and our genetics. Even, for example, things that we don't have any clinical data on, which is, say, for example, how the human body and living matter interacts with electromagnetic fields. Right. The first time I ever interacted with an electromagnetic field is when I stood on the San Andreas fault line when somebody took me on a hike. All I remember is standing on the fault line, and then I remember nothing because I'd passed out. And then when I came to, I was like, whoa, did you feel that? Did you, did you feel that <laughs> wave? And they were like, no, I didn't feel anything. I was like, did you feel nauseous? They're like, no. And I thought, weird, maybe there's just something about me. But then it happened again when I was on a fault line. It happened again when I was on a different fault line. So then all I surmised was, oh, I'm very sensitive to electromagnetic fields. Started to do research, turns out every living thing is sensitive. 
But like you're sharing, what if you're not sensitive yet? What if you don't know you yet and you just attribute it to just the way you feel? That's just the way I feel every day, crummy. Mm. I have some friends who grew up from when they were babies, they put a wine in their bottles, alcohol with every meal. From when they were toddlers, they drank. And um, they often woke up grumpy. You know, sometimes I'd stop by on the way to school and just be like, you want to walk to school? And they were grumpy people in the morning. And, you know, I would look at them and I would think, what is that in their liver? How could they have anything strange in their liver? They're kids. (laughs) (laughs) But nobody even thought about it. And not the parents and not the grandparents. And as a big family, and I was like, Huh. But, you know, later I begin to reflect on all the things we do. And like you're talking about sugar, sugar blues, people having meltdown, a lot of the ADD kids, you know, people that this principal of an elementary school is sending me the kids who are ADD. And he would ask me, all I want to know if I send this kid to you, is it ADD or is it their diet? Or do they have behavioral problems? Or are there issues Mm -hmm. I need to be aware of? I just want to know how to counsel their teacher. And all of a sudden, I start going, oh, my gosh, these children are being identified as attention deficit kids, but they're not. They have great attention spans. They're just so crazy from all the sugar that they're given first thing in the morning. Well, also, it kind of makes you wonder more and more because there's sugar in everything. And that's kind of one of the hard parts. Like when my chiropractor asked me not to have sugar anymore, I was like, but how? It's in everything. Like, what am I supposed to eat? And then I remember I talked to you and you're like, "Uh, well, just eat things that come out of the ground. And I was like, oh yeah, that part. (laughs) But isn't that incredible that it wouldn't even, you know, food culture is the most powerful culture. It's healing. It creates community. We have our memories stored in food culture. So Mm. if there was someplace post-industrial era where food became food that was industrialized versions, then that's what people have recollections about. Fond memories of, you know, I totally get why we got from farm-focused agrarian societies into something that is a creation of the post-industrial age because people had to go to work and you have to get something that's faster. But what I don't understand and what I really struggle with is that it just feels like more and more food has become such a business, Mm. especially in the U.S., that it just feels like there's an agenda behind Mm. it. And it requires so much self-knowledge and self-seeking and seeking of alternative things to figure out, like even in the medical system. I remember my mom had to have emergency surgery and remove her gallbladder. Mm -hmm. And it was this very traumatic thing for me, just going to the hospital. And and then um, after a week of being in the hospital, the doctor came in to release her and he was like giving her a sheet of paper of what to do after she left. And none of it included anything about her diet. 
And my mom asked him, she was like, you know, what can I eat? And he was like, oh, you can eat anything you want, whatever you want. And I was like, what? This woman literally just had to have emergency gallbladder surgery. Mm. This is an organ in her body that it filters, (laughs) is a filter, obviously. There's got to be some kind of connection to what she's putting in her body Mm. that had this outcome. Sure, there's genetic reasons and other reasons, but the fact that Western medicine doesn't take into consideration what our diet or our emotional state, they just don't consider our environment. None of these things is why I think somebody like you is priceless and why in this country, I really feel like you kind of have to have a team of people that you really trust that kind of look at you from different perspectives and are able to help you achieve health. I agree. I mean, I love what you just said about a team. I think the the more voices involved, the more streamlined your protocol becomes because everybody should come up with the same truth. It's just they're adding their piece of expertise. Mm. You know, um, when I was a child, I think we lived in um, still in the city of Chicago, and I think we had one of the last family doctors who paid house calls. Because between the upstairs family and our downstairs family, we had plural people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the doctor would come and really examine everybody, especially if we all had symptoms. And I remember this one occasion when my parents said, oh, you guys have the flu. And uh, this doctor would meet with each of us alone in the bedroom. So we all had terrible stomach aches. And to one of my sisters, he said, oh, it's just a little flu. She'll get over it. To another sister, he said, I've warned you about stealing butter and cheese. You don't do well with fats. You're (laughs) going to get yourself sick. And he talked about her gallbladder. And then my other sister, he said to her, how many times do I have to tell you, chew your food before you swallow? Mm. And then to me, he said, listen, I think it's time you stop watching the news You just, no more news, no more newspapers, do you hear? Wow. (laughs) And so he saw how we ended up with stomach aches. Mm. It was so inspiring. Right then and there, I was like, hmm, I think I see my future. (laughs) Yeah, I (laughs) love that. (laughs) So great. Isn't that also the definition of care? Like, He cared. It's like he's providing care by caring. Yes. That's what people come to me for. They want to be seen. And, you know, I've never had to give a person bad news. I've had to give people very difficult news, but never bad because we long Mm. to hear the truth. And the minute we hear what has caused our symptoms, regardless of where we are, There's something incredibly inspiring and freeing and confirming about it because you knew it. You just never had it seen or spoken. Mm. And you're already on your way to healing, whatever that healing is going to look like. Even with the worst news, you know, like I have had the responsibility of recommending to a person to go back to the same doctor that told them there's nothing wrong. And ask them to ask their doctor 
to test different organs Mm. or to run a different series of tests. And every time it always came back, there was something there. And I think it's because protocol, you have to start somewhere. There's nothing wrong with a generic physical, nothing wrong. But if symptoms persist, you should be taken seriously. You're living in that body. Medicine must evolve so that we incorporate all that we've explored, but now return to the basic care. Mm -hmm. I so wish that different types of medicine can conjoin under one roof. Like Mm. if Western and Eastern medicine learned how to collaborate with one another, Mm. because you've said this, and I think it's such a brilliant way of describing this, that Western medicine is really brilliant when it comes to emergencies. If we have an emergency, we just know how to deal with it right away, but it isn't really a great go-to for health and sustaining health or creating health, it doesn't really promote that. It's more so about take this pill or do this thing. Not It, it feels like it doesn't invest in you in a long-term kind of way. But imagine if we regain our respect and reverence for Western medicine. I mean, I often wish it was renamed medical research and emergency medicine. I I think it's so brilliant. But if we kept it in that place, and then we continue to do research and expand the spectrum so that everybody gets to be seen under that paradigm, and now we can specialize in what maintains health, preventative measures, I think that people would stop paying out of pocket for all these It shouldn't be called alternative medicine. right? As you say, it should be under one roof. My gosh, I would love to work in such a place. Smushi, I think about that all the time with you. I so wish, (laughs) because even that one thing, and I know we've mentioned this on a podcast before, but you often notice things in the body that Western medicine hasn't caught up to yet. And sometimes those are my favorite things. And one of them, of course, is my favorite example of the pancreas which I know mm-hmm. you've talked about, but I learned this all for the first time, but the pancreas is the only organ in the body that produces enzymes and hormones. And those enzymes are, the enzymes specifically in the pancreas are designed to break down sugars, all sugars, good sugars, bad sugars. But one thing that you notice that Western medicine hasn't realized or discovered yet or possibly isn't even looking for is that the pancreas also processes sweet experiences. So when somebody says, I love you, or, hey, Smishi, you're really good at that. Your body creates that chemistry, that sweetness, and it gets processed through your pancreas. And I love that in your work, you notice that people who receive sweetness in their lives have more of an ability to handle actual sweets Mm -hmm. and don't crave them as much. Whereas Mm -hmm. people that aren't getting a lot of sweetness in their lives are actually supplementing it with sugar. And it makes so much sense. And I remember that that reoriented my entire relationship with sugar alone because 
then I started having this awareness every time I craved sweets because I was like, wait, am I craving this Mm -hmm. chocolate bar because I really want this chocolate bar? Or am I actually craving sweetness that I'm not receiving from somewhere? Mm. And then it inspired Mm. me to actually seek it in other ways and want to get that sweetness in other ways rather than just have the chocolate bar, which will probably make me feel bad at the end of it anyway. And another thing that we don't talk about is the positive virtues of sugar. Mm. And sugar, when it's taken out of the cane, is crystal, is a crystallized, Mm. it's an amplifier. So not only do we have the virtues of sugar, how many grams of it and what's the form of it so that we know how it'll be absorbed, the glycemic index factor, but also sugar by itself is an amplifier. So you could see why it'd be such a wonderful thing to celebrate with. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, that's the time to eat sugar, you know, when you're celebrating and you're happy and now you're amplifying something that is already there right? Uh, rather than it being a substitute, which will give it a boomerang effect. But really, it begs to ask not just about the pancreas and not just about love, but emotional chemistry. Yeah. Where does all the sophisticated spectrum of our emotions and chemical form, where do they get absorbed? What do they help? What do they hinder? Where do they store as toxins? So that is, you know, what I love to also coincide in the work along the way, because, you know, if somebody is either well assisted, supported by allowing themselves certain emotions, whether it's to feel them or to experience them from others, Mm-hmm. Or to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> or to eat them. Or not to, to let them out, to not mm-hmm. let them be stored as toxins. We could change our health from a variety of doorways. And, and that's the material point, you know. If you're asking me, why do people need a medical intuitive? What people really need is just someone who sees them, who has some kind of medical know-how, because they'll bring that expertise. Mm-hmm. to whatever they're doing in in their practice. Also, it feels so good because I've found that anytime you suggest something, it's what I want to do naturally. Mm. It's just not the thing that's scientifically proven or suggested mm. that's supposed to be the remedy. Mm. Yeah, because it's your body, Smishy. It's yours. And you always know what works for your body You just haven't been given permission to realize you, in fact, are the world's leading expert on you. And there's no substitute for that. Yeah. Well, we're also not trust, we're not taught to trust that about Mm. ourselves. You know, we often look to authority or we are clouded by projection. So it's hard to see yourself through that, through those layers. Absolutely. And then, We also have to understand that health isn't stagnant. Mm. From the day you're born, things will change. Life will change. You're going to deal with a lot of things that are not good for you. (laughs) You know, plain and simple. But see, our work is to find our way back to balance, no matter what we encounter. And we mustn't put that in the hands of others. Mm. 
So even if you don't have access to a medical health system, if you are living amongst the population, the majority of the people of the world have no medical establishment serving them, the majority. So we have to understand all people were created to stay healthy. And we have a million and one ways, infinite ways to establish our health. And so we start with knowing ourselves, and then trusting ourselves. When we feel drawn to a certain brand of medicine, we should follow it. Well, also the importance of trusting who you're working with. Mm. If you don't trust the person that's supposed to be helping you, then it's not going to work for you anyway. That's really, really true. You know, uh, when my eldest was born, we had the world's most extraordinary pediatrician. I met him when he was 88 years old, and no one would allow him to retire. He had a job up until his mid-30s when he and his wife decided to have their family all in a row. So they had five children in a row. Bing, 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 bing. (laughs) They lived on this farm, and his wife noticed how gifted he was with the children and how observant he was with their health. And she said, oh my gosh, you've got to go back to school and become a pediatrician. And he was like, you're crazy. We have a family now. No, I have a good job. No. And she was like, please, if you go back to school, I swear, I'll manage the kids while you're in medical school. Do it, do it. So he did. And then she became his manager for his office. So he started his career in his 40s. And no one would let him retire. He was extraordinary. But the thing that really was interesting is I wasn't the only one who asked him, Dr. Kimball, I beg you, will you be my doctor if I have a symptom? (laughs) Can, Can I just come to you? If my son is sick, can I also come? And he was like, okay, but don't tell anybody. But I'm sure that's what everyone did. Yeah. Because he could really see. Yeah. He cared. He cared. (laughs) I love that. Oh, Oh, Smishy, I feel like we could keep going on for days and days about this, especially based on some of the stuff that you've told me about the things that you've noticed about our bodies. It just blows my mind how untapped and under-researched and It's like we have no idea what we are yet from a a spiritual place and even from a physical place. I think that we haven't discovered nearly close to what we're capable of, like how our bodies are constructed and how they work. And I'm just really hoping that this generation sort of takes the lead on going even deeper into some of these areas that are that really are like magic. Me too, Smishy. I, I hope so too. And I see it percolating. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love sharing what I observe. I mean, that's why I uh, wrote a book, you know, so that people can have a sense of something and go, that's me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that applies to me. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait for your book to come out. Uh, Smishy, we'll just have to see. Can't wait. <laughs> well, Sushi, I know the minute we finish up with this podcast, we'll continue 
with our conversation. <laughs> That's true. On the phone. Yep. I'm always like, knock, knock. Smishy, what about this bit? <laughs> so much fun. Always. Love you, Smishy. Love you, Smishy. <laughs> And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. 